This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, this is uh, Jay Horowitz for the special edition of Amazing Conversations with Mets Hall of Famer Ed Cranepool. We're here to talk about Ed's new book, The Last Miracle. And I thought I knew everything about you, but... You had a chance to be in the natural, and you turned the parts down. How'd that happen? Well, you know, I, I didn't want to go to California and do all this stuff. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen, and I didn't want to go to Syracuse, where they were producing this thing, or Buffalo, one of these right. cities. You know, they were going to produce it. I was there, and I was stuck there for a long time. You know, back in, uh, I guess, uh, 70 or 71, I didn't like the town, and I knew my wife wouldn't want to stay there. So I said, you know, I could be stuck there for, you know, a couple of months and, uh, you know, be by myself. So I, I just turned. Any second thoughts looking back? I didn't have any second thoughts yeah. because I took her up there to Syracuse uh, later on when they had the introduction uh, of the stadium, the new stadium up there. And they asked me to come up there. Uh, Mr. Rich, who was the right. owner, he sent his private plane down, picked my wife and I up. We went up to uh, Buffalo. That's where it was, and you know what? She wanted to leave before the weekend was over, so I said, I know I wouldn't have made it. Did you ever have any interaction with Robert Redford after that, or no? Just uh, when they introduced the movie, that's about it. You know, other than that, you know, we helped the guys. Tony Ferrara, who used to pitch back well, to the Mets, he was in the movie. He stayed there for it, he wanted to do it. He didn't have anything, anything to do in New York. So he he had some fun. And then another, she tried to play. Everyone loves Raymond. You had a chance to do. We did that. You did that. I mean, and, but I didn't want to go. I told my wife. You could have had a whole acting career, Eddie. I don't know about that. You know, they didn't ask me to talk in any of these things. You know, so I didn't have much of a part. But, but it was fun. Yeah, I mean, Raymond Mount is a good guy, big sports fan. And his brother is great, you know. And we named the dog after Art Shamsky. Yeah, Art was the reason we really had the show. They wanted to name the dog Shamsky, and of course. Somewhere along the line, his wife uh, talked to the people and wound up getting a show out of it. And your book is really more than a sports book, right? I mean, right. 69 Paramount, it's about your, 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 your struggle to get a kidney, your Monica's illness. Right. And to really, your meant career, 18 years, it wasn't always easy. There were bumps in the road. I remember sure there was. looking back, you, you know, how was it? You signed 17 years old. And of Jay's Monroe, how was it being in a locker room with guys double your age? Well, my first roommate was Frank Thomas. He was 35. You really, really don't have anything to do with these guys. You have nothing in common with them. You can't do anything on the road. You know, guys are out having a drink after a ball game. I couldn't even go in a bar. I was 17. And you don't develop to the major league level against Koufax and Drysdale and Bob Gibson. These are all Hall of Famers. I was a young kid, 17, force-fed to the major leagues, and they asked me to play, and you were trying to produce, and you're struggling. You're striking out, you're doing things, you know, and, and you're trying to develop against Hall of Famers. It just doesn't work that, that easy. You know, speaking of, of Colfax, uh, your first game in Los Angeles, 
You saw Sandy's with first no-hitter? He pitched a no-hitter, struck out 13, and I'm on the bench. You know, and I'm watching this, and, you know, good thing Casey didn't use me. <laughs> I'll tell you, he used Gene you Woodling. Gene Woodling, right? Gene pick. Woodling, he struck out on three pitches, came back into the dugout. He said, get me new bats. He had a real heavy bat. I guess, with the, you know, over with the Yankees, I guess he could swing that thing. But when Koufax struck him out on three pitches, he said, get me lighter bats. Well, you're 17 years old. You first came to Sandy Koufax. You said to me, how am I going to do this thing? I mean, is it, gonna, is it all going to be like I thought this? I was going back to college. I said, this is going to be tough, you know, watching this. You know, you don't really see this too often. You know, I didn't see no hitters, you know, being thrown. And he just dominated everybody for six years. And I didn't realize, I mean, you really were a Yankee fan growing up, right? I was. I grew you up know, in and, and Big Bum Chase, Monroe. Uh, how was the transition going from, you know, Yankees really didn't come after you that much today? Well, they did. I worked out for Yankee Stadium. Right. Uh, Jake Gibbs was the uh, number one pick for them in, in seven, uh, 61. I worked out with the Yankees, and then I, I couldn't sign until I graduated high school, which was the following year, and then I graduated. But the Mets were following me the last year. Johnny Murphy, who was our vice president, was there, and uh, Bubba Janard was the original scout. He followed my, me my junior year, senior year in high school. Every game he saw, Sandlot baseball, high school baseball. The graduation, I don't know whether they showed up there, but they showed up at my house right after I graduated, and they said, we're not leaving until you sign. And we negotiated a little bit, and um, I actually had allegiance to the White Sox also. My, my uh, health director in school, Steve Ray, uh, he was a scout for the, for the White Sox. He wanted me to sign with them. So I said to the Mets, I'm not signing till I call the White Sox. And my friend Steve Ray, I, I, I figured I'd ask him if he wanted to do something. He called Chicago, and when he, I told him what the Mets offered me, he said, uh, you know, go ahead. We can't sign you for that. I mean, you thought the opportunity would be better with the Mets, right? Because I knew it was going to be better. I knew, you know... I was pretty smart about that. I said, let me get to the major leagues in a hurry. I didn't think it was going to take two days to get to the major leagues, but I got there in a hurry. As it turned out, it was probably the toughest thing I did, playing at home, very difficult, because all your friends know you in, in Sandlot baseball and how well you did. You sign with your, your home team, everyone's critiquing you. They're wondering why you're not hitting 350 like you were hitting in, in Sandlots. Well, it's pretty tough. I hit, wound up hitting 250. Yeah. Well, you know what? It wasn't bad when you consider at the end of my career I hit 261. But when I started to catch up with the league and hit 300, 292, 323, they thought I was around for 25 years and said, you know what, this guy's over the hill. They had that when I was 22 because I didn't lead the club to the pennant. But if I would have played with another ball club, I would have developed in the minor leagues for a year or two, because I did well. I hit over 300 every time I went to the minor leagues. I would have came up, I would have been caught up with the league in a year or two, and then I would have developed. And by the time I was hitting 300, 323, I would have played regularly. Instead of every manager kept getting new first baseman and said, you can always pinch hit. They knew I could do a good job. That's what it took a year. So you really came up as a first baseman then when Clendenin came, Milner, to the outfield, right. and he transitioned to top pitch hitters in, in, in baseball. How tough was that for you to 
keep changing your 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 positions. Well, I just wanted a hit. I didn't care what position I played. You know, some guys, you know, want to play one position. I knew I could play first base. Gil Hodges taught me that. Then I went to left field, went to right field. I started in 1963 in right field. I was the opening right fielder, you know, opening day. And I played there for a number of weeks until I got hurt. But I kept going out to the minors, get more experience, come back, do well, move around. And, and then you just happened to be around too long with the same organization. I didn't want to get traded. I wanted to play in New York and I wanted to produce here. When I did, People thought I was too old, but I was still a young kid. We won the pennant, won the World Series. I was only 25 by that time. And you played for two of the most iconic managers in history, Casey Stengel. Casey has the reputation of being a quote buffoon, but I know you told me that's not the case at all. He, he put on an act when he wanted to take the pressure off the players. He wasn't that way every day. He'd sit in the clubhouse. He talked to you, he discussed baseball, he liked the young players. He knew when he looked around the clubhouse he didn't have the talent to perform in the National League. He knew he couldn't compete and win a pennant, so he tried to get the young guys. I was the first young guy coming up. Then, of course, Cleon joined the ball club in 62. He knew he had some talent. Worked with him, he worked with Buddy Harrelson, Ronnie Sabota came up in the mid-60s. Then we started to really hit the bonanza. We had Tom Seaver that we were very lucky in acquiring him in the draft. Something happened down in Atlanta. They actually drafted him. They were, he had signed with the Atlanta Braves. He would have been an Atlanta Brave, but the commissioner changed that, and the Mets wound up getting him in some kind of a draft. Jerry Kuzman joined the ball club, and then we kept adding young players. But Casey worked with all these guys. So it was like there's a method to his man. It's like he told me once. He, he tried to deflect the attention away from the players he did. and make jokes and so they would talk to him and not, you know, ridicule the players. He did. He knew the ball club was not a good ball club, was losing a lot of games. So he said, how do I get the press on our side? So he, he discouraged us, you know, he wound up talking to the press and he told, told all kinds of stories. The one time there was a clown on the ball club that tried to outdo Casey was Jimmy Pearsall. He, he, backwards hit, thing, he right? hit a home run, it was his 100th home run, and he ran the bases backwards in the pole grounds. By the time he got to home plate, Casey was up on the steps yelling at him. And we didn't know what was going on because he was having fun, Jimmy Pearsall, but he got rid of him the next day. He didn't last very long. There was only room for one clown on the New York Mets, and that was Casey. Two of the other characters were, were Marv Throneberry and Rod Keneal, right? I mean, but they didn't do it on purpose. Jimmy Pearsall did it on purpose. He hit the home run in the polo grounds, turned around and trotted around the bases backwards. Wasn't there one thing where Throneberry missed a couple of bases? And well, he went, did that. And he did that a few argue, times. He, and the upright said, yeah, he missed the second base too, you know? Yeah, but, well, that's what happened with Casey. Casey was very quick. When he went out to argue about uh, when Throneberry was on third base, don't worry about it, he missed first and second, so he missed two bases. You know, one day I wanted to talk about, I was actually at the game, you know, growing up, I was a diehard Willie Mays fan. So it was May 31st, 1964, Met Giants doubleheader. Um, you had just come back from Syracuse. Correct. So in the space of two days, you played, what? One day. Well, one, when, one day, I, I, on Saturday night, I played a doubleheader in Syracuse, and it was called up. 
so Sunday morning, about six o'clock, I caught a flight out of Syracuse, came back to the ball club, and Casey met me in the clubhouse, and he said, we got a doubleheader today, you're gonna play the first game. I said, you know, he knew I played two games the night before. I said, that's fine, I was ready to play. Played the first game, and then he said, I, I forget whether we won or lost or whatever. Lost but, to, uh, Willie Mays played shortstop. Okay, but the second game, Gaylord Perry was Gaylord Perry was a pitcher. He was going to get sent to the minor yeah. leagues. He was ready to get sent out. He had nothing but a fastball. He started fooling around with the baseball, putting grease on it, Vaseline on it, all kinds of stuff on the ball, and the ball was dancing all over the place. Wound up going nine innings, pitched a shutout. Casey started me that game. He said, Ed, you only play a couple of innings. Can you make it? I said, sure. I said, you know, at 19 years of age, 18 years of age, I said, well, I can play. Well, after three or four innings, he used up all the players, had nobody to put in there. I wound up playing. 32 innings, right? 32 innings, mm -hmm. and, and, and the game ended about 20 minutes yeah. to 12. I took a, back, a bus back to Clifton, got home like 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I stayed and I, I said to the press, I had the best quote. I wish the game had played 20 more minutes. It would have started in May and ended in June. Yeah. It would have been, really been a long game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What was it? Did you and he, he really maintain a friendship through the years? We both helped get his number retired thanks to the cones. What, how has he been able to retain a, a relationship with him all these years? Well, my wife and I developed a friendship with William. We used to play golf together. We used to go down to the Doral Hotels in Florida at Christmas time. So I would invite Willie to come down as a guest, come down and play, just play golf, have a good time. And he loved to play golf, and his wife was very nice. So they all came down, and we'd spend a week or so in Florida playing golf, playing softball with the guests. I mean, having Willie yeah. Mays play at the Doral was great, and we had a good time. We frequented it together in New York. He didn't travel and go outside very often. He liked to stay in his room. He was always afraid of people. He didn't like to really get involved and mingle, but you know what? We got along fine. Yeah, we're, we're proud of him that he got his, his... I'm glad you worked hard, Jay. Well, we, he was my honor growing up. Before I want to touch on Gil Hodges, uh, in the 69 pennant race, uh, we, we, you know, we were behind 11 to 12 game, wound up beating him by eight. You said to me, because of Gil, the way he handled the roster, you said to me, the Cubs, played the same guys all the time, right? They did. And we all today, 25-man roster, that was the key in your mind? I think so. We were fresh. Comes the end of August, we were fresh where Chicago was dragging. You could see them out on the field. They, you know, they lost a little step, and uh, you know, they weren't as positive. And, and we started beating every club we had to win, we beat. And you know, we took the Cubs four straight. You know, you go from 10-game lead down to six, you're thinking about it. All of a sudden, this club's starting to catch up. And you know what? We kept following up. The next series, we'd win that series. We won every series coming down the stretch. I think the only club that we had a problem with was Houston. 
We've always had a problem, and I think playing indoors really affects us. But you know what? The Mets played well down the stretch, and we beat Chicago by 10 games. Yeah, we made up a lot. I mean, almost 20 games. Yeah, it was unbelievable. How crazy was this 73 pennant race? I mean, in July, we're 12 games under 500. You were Tug McGraw's roommate, right? I was. What do you remember about the you got to believe speech? It's become one of the folk Mets battle cries. Well, I tell you what, it was it was a strange day. We got called off the field, and they said Donald Grant, who was our president, wanted to talk to the club. We had just recovered. A lot of guys were hurt, got back into the lineup, and we put together the full staff because early in the year we had a lot of injuries, and we start playing pretty good baseball. Donald Grant starts giving us a speech in the locker room saying, I know you guys have had a tough beginning, but you're back together as a team. You're better than you're playing. Things will get better. Just give 100%. And it was really a pretty good speech. But meanwhile, in the back of the room, his locker was really in the corner, was Tug McGraw, who would say anything, do anything, have a good time. In baseball, well, he started screaming, ranting, and raving, you got to believe. Well, Donald Grant, who was a very formal person, sees that tug yelling, hears him screaming, and all of a sudden cuts his speech short. He's, it's over. He starts walking out of the clubhouse. Well, when I went over to tug, I said, I got to do something. I think he's going to get himself traded because he embarrassed <laughs> the president of the ball club, and he walked out. So I said to Tug, you better go tell him that you really didn't mean anything about it. It wasn't a negative uh, stunt you were pulling. You were trying to encourage the players and go along with Donald. So before we left, we had a little room outside. We caught up to Donald Grant, and I said, Mr. Grant, Tug McGraw wants to say something, you know, about the speech. And he told him what he was doing, and he was trying to really encourage the guys. He turned around and they both got along. They shook hands, so I said, well, we're okay. We got over this hurdle. But it was Tug and that was our rallying call. You got to believe because from that point on, we really started to play good baseball. And how disappointed was the World Series? Go, go to Oakland, <laughs> up 3-2, to two, and wind up losing two games. You know, yeah, that, Another World Series in the Mets grass and it didn't... It's up. probably the biggest disappointment that we've had. You know, this organization has been around a long time. Right. It's only got two pennant winners, right. two World right. Series winners, 69 and 86. Well, we have two games to go, and we've got Seaver, you know, ready, and we've got John Matlock ready. But the guy who should have pitched the sixth game was George Stone. Who had a pretty good year. Went 11, he was games. 12 and 3. Yeah, I remember. He won seven in a row. People forget this. He won seven in a row coming down the stretch. Was probably our best pitcher. He was a sneaky left-hander. We acquired him in the trade with Felix Mion, you know, for Gary Gentry and somebody else. And he pitches great for us. He's fully rested and supposed to pitch, and everybody knows this in the ballpark and expects him to pitch. Seaver had pitched other games and was short-rested, and Yogi's thinking about who to pitch in the sixth game. We know there was no choice. We know George should have pitched. He pitched all year. He goes up on the plane and talks to Seaver about pitching. Well, Tom didn't volunteer to pitch, but he's a Hall of Famer. He's our, our Mr. Baseball. Right. He's not going to say no if you say, will you pitch on Saturday? Of course not. 
He comes to me, Siva, and says, try to talk to, Kate, uh, to Yogi, you know, because I should really pitch Sunday, fully rested. He hasn't been shortchanged all year, never did. Really? Yogi, after talking to Seaver, decides he's going to pitch Storm Seaver. George Stone hasn't pitched yet. He never got into the game on, on Saturday. Seaver gets knocked out. It was like a pin went right in the balloon, knocked the air out of us. We could have went home Saturday night. Yeah. We didn't. We had nothing left. That's it. That's nothing shame. left. We, we should have saved Seaver, told George Stone, go out on the field. You'll pitch as long as you can. You're the only guy that's out there today. And George was the type of pitcher who was very sneaky. And you know what? He won all those games. He should have been in there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And let me take it back to May of 1960, not 1969, May of 2019, right? My, my math is bad. 2019. It, that's 50 years from um, 16, May of 2019, right? The the uh, ceremony was, um, you know, in that month, you weren't feeling well at that time. Talk about what you thought about, you know, whether you'd be able to make this, the uh, game or not, and then out of the blue, maybe the the transplant happens, a three-person transplant. How how nervous were you, you know, at that time in your life? Well, right after I I retired from baseball, I, I figured you know I better get in better shape <laughs> after retiring. I wanted to lose some weight, and I started the diet right after the season. I wanted to come back the next year and have a good year. That's a, even though I, I thought I was going to retire, you still have choices. Sometimes you can do it, you don't do it. I started to lose some weight, and the next thing I know it, I lost the 10 pounds I wanted to and kept losing weight, and I said, there's something wrong. I don't feel quite right. I don't see properly. Well, I, I wound up getting uh, reports from the doctor I needed a kidney. I wasn't doing very well, and I had to put it out for a kidney. And we struggled for almost, over, over two years. To get a kidney, I was ready for dialysis, which would have changed my complete life. Uh, it made it very difficult to, to produce and do anything. You've got to always make these appointments to go in for dialysis two or three times a week. So it was very difficult, and out of the blue, a uh, donor comes up and says he's willing to uh, donate a kidney to me. Well, that's a very serious situation. You know, you're not buying it off the shelf. So you go ahead and plan for that. But things changed along the way, along with my kidney. We didn't take the first donor. The donor was a gentleman, he was a police officer at LaGuardia Airport. We wound up taking another gentleman who was going in for a kidney transplant. His wife wanted to be the donor for him. It didn't work. The next thing you know it, we start talking and my doctor comes up to me and says, you know, the craziest thing about the situation with your kidney is you have a perfect donor, but the guy's wife, the fireman's wife, who wanted to donate to her husband, 
was a perfect match for me. So we wound up switching organ transplants. So we wound up saving two people, having two operations at the same time. We saved the fireman. He would have been continued in, uh, you know, transplant stuff. And uh, it was unbelievable. It was a miracle. Speaking of miracle, for a while, your Monica, your wife was pretty sick. You had a pretty serious surgery. Now you guys are taking cruises. Went to Alaska. I mean, life is health-wise, life is good right, right now, right? Life is good, but my wife was sick for over a year. Right. She got sick. We had decided we were going to move to Florida. Right. Wanted to get out of the cold weather, but my wife took a, a sickness. She, uh, you know, had a, a, a situation where she was um, had an organ that was not good. Her kidney was not good, and she was. We thought it was um, that she had a blockage, and we didn't know what it was. We sent her to the hospital. She had checked up. She wound up having pancreatic cancer, which is very serious. There was a surgery we could do for her and try to help her in Florida. We wound up getting it. Fred Wilpont was one of the fellows instrumental in helping me, right. and, and he was wonderful about it. Made a couple of phone calls. We got an appointment. Doctor saw my wife, and uh, we wound up having transplant surgery down there and I got a Not new... Not good with everything is okay with both Everything is good with both of us now. And looking at the record books, your name is in all the list, games, at bats, stuff. But I, you told me the record you're most proud of. You're one of the three people to play for their Mets the entire career. It's you, um, Ron Hodges, and David Wright. Right. You have 18 years. I mean, what does that mean to you to play your whole career with one of those eight? Well, I was lucky, Jay, and you know, I could have been traded a couple of times. This ball club traded a lot of people in the first six or seven years before we won a pennant. But I kept, you know, keeping my nose clean, just played as much as I could. Always, The only time I criticized the ball club was for lack of playing. So they can't really get mad at you because, you know, what everybody wants to play. It's the guys that don't want to play and want to collect their salaries. That's the guys you got to worry about. I wanted to play. I didn't get an opportunity under certain managers, but I pinch hit, play left field, play right field, do whatever they had to. But I wanted to hit, so it didn't matter to me, and I just stuck, stuck with it. And his team is now, it's 54 years since 69. This is the fourth teammate, you know, fourth teammate, to write a book about the Mets, Cleon, uh, Shamsky, and Swoboda. I mean, what what makes this team so iconic? You, you know, from Rick to Richards. I mean, I mean, what what makes this such a different team? Well, the difference in this team is everyone loved this team. It went from the bottom to the top. We won in New York in 1969. It was a perfect time to win in the World Series in New York. I mean. We had the Vietnam War. We walked on the moon that year. We had Woodstock. We had a lot of things happening in New York, and yet we had baseball. The Mets took everybody's attention away from all these negative things that were happening in New York, and they just followed baseball. And they loved the Mets. We had Yankee fans come over and watch us. They wanted to see us win, and we won. We played so well coming down the stretch that uh, you know, they just can't forget it. So it was a great opportunity for us. 50, 60 years later, they're still talking about right. being at the ballpark, grabbing the grass, replanting it in their backyards, and develop a, a, a backyard for themselves. You enjoying the book tour? 
I like it. it it's been fun. I, I did it. You know, I have a lot of good stories. I didn't rip into players. Good. You know, I kept it clean and I kept it up to date and I think it was very refreshing. Well, I think it's a great read for all Mets fans, all baseball fans. Uh, the Last Miracle by Ed Cranepool, published by Triangle. Go and get the book, you'll enjoy it. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Okay.